Good morning. Please take a seat. If I can underline Jonathan's welcome, especially if you're new here today, it's lovely to see you. Um, it's really good to have you with us. You find us at the end of our series on the Trinity, uh, the idea that God is one and yet has three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And curiously, we chose to do four sermons on the Trinity rather than three, um, and you find us in the fourth one uh, here this morning. We've seen that God is love. We've seen that God is, uh, uh, he is uh, glory. We've seen that he is our saviour. And then today we see he is a God who unites I think you'll find it helpful if you kept your Bibles open. So if you have uh, page 1175 open in front of you, that that's enables you to check that what I'm saying is from God's word and not just my own ideas I've plucked out of thin air. And uh, you might like to keep this, what is this, mint, mint-coloured sheet uh, in front of you if you're making notes. Shall I pray? Shall I pray for us? Let's bow our heads. Fire of God, volcanic spirit, burn within our hearts today. Father, we acknowledge there may be many other things on our minds and in our hearts, but we ask that as we gaze at your triune nature, as we gain more of an apprehension of what you are like, that our hearts would burn within us, that it would have a practical effect on how we love you and how we love one another here. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. There was an internet poll recently, I think it was put up on the internet in response to some of the racial tensions in America, and the the internet poll asked this question, are racism and xenophobia natural human behaviours? Is racism and xenophobia natural human behaviours? And overwhelmingly, 81% of people said yes. And it's hard to deny. It's hard to deny that we humans, we're inherently fearful of each other. We we tend to gravitate towards people who are like us. And we tend to show apathy or at worst hostility towards those who aren't like us. It's as though there's, there's a natural fault line in our communities. And very quickly, these fault lines, they can quickly become fractures and then divisions. So I think if you open any newspaper, you'll see just that. This is the problem with mobile phones, is that often you have a speaking Bible in them, and uh, you press play, and uh, everyone gets to hear the Bible read. We've already had the Bible read, so I think we'll keep it just to once. Poor chap. Let's not embarrass him after the service. Let's make sure we did it enough now. Well, in this letter to whom Paul was writing, there were, we might say, a fault line in the church, between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And it seems as if, as we read this letter, Satan was using this ethnic fault line to try and cause divisions in the church. And as I look out here at St. John's, we're a, we're a wonderfully diverse church. So I think it's testament not only to our location here in Hampstead, but also the Spirit's work amongst us, uniting us and, and bringing us all together. But we must acknowledge that there are areas of difference between us. And there are fault lines where the devil, he, he could potentially get a foothold. And he could potentially pull us apart. There are the obvious things, aren't there? Our different cultures, our different backgrounds, our different ethnicities. 
But I found often in churches, the things which, which could divide us are often the less obvious things. And perhaps our different characters. Some of us are extroverts, some of us are introverts. Some of us are quite serious people, some of us are more jovial people. Often that can cause friction, can't it? We have different characters. We, we have different political views. Some of us vote uh, Labour, some of us vote Tory. And that can sometimes cause fractions between us. We have uh, different schooling and, and class backgrounds. We have uh, different visions, perhaps, for, for our church and what our strategy, strategy should be and where we should put our energy and our resources. Where we probably have very different views on, on secondary issues like, like baptism. And my daughter was, was baptised last week and maybe they're thinking, we shouldn't be doing this. There are differences between us. So the question is, with all our differences, what will keep us united? What will keep Satan prizing these fault lines apart into division? What will keep us from hopping from one church to the next every five years or so, looking for one that fits me and my needs and my views and my style and my politics? What will keep us united? And the answer in this text is our triune God. Here's our first point, if you're following on your, on your handouts. It's this. The Trinity is the source of church unity. The Trinity is the source of church unity. Please follow with me in verse 1, if you would, in your Bibles. Paul writes this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I don't think Paul would have written these things unless he understood the natural human compulsion to cause divisions. We err, don't we, towards pride and forcefulness. Which is why he says here, be completely humble and gentle. Uh, we veer towards impatience and giving up on each other. And so he says here, be patient and bear with one another. We swerve towards division and hostility. So he says, keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now this is important. Note this. We aren't told here to create unity. Instead, we are to keep the unity we already have in the spirit. It's quite nice. Before the service, you always see the children running around. And every now and then, you see the kids get into a fight. Often, they're brothers and sisters. So imagine before the service, um, Ed uh, Choi and Sam Choi, Kerryon and David's uh, sons, were, were, were having a bust up before the service. And it never happens, I know. Um, it never happens. But imagine that were to happen. And they're there, hang a fist fight, they're rolling on the floor, and um, they're fighting. Well, that fight, it doesn't make them any less brothers, does it? They are brothers, they are choice, they are flesh and blood, they are brothers. But imagine instead of rolling on the floor and fighting each other, they were getting on perfectly well, they're being very helpful, and maybe they're being very nice to one another before the service. Well, that doesn't make them any more brothers. They are choice, they are flesh and blood. They are family. So if they were fighting, Kerryon might say to them, boys, remember your brothers. Be what you are. Be united because you are united. 
And that's the idea here. What is to unite Christians together, given that we're so different, so diverse in different ways? Well, verse 4 gives us the answer. Look down with me, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now the eagle-eyed amongst you will have noticed there are seven ones there. But this sevenfold list is actually a threefold list. If you notice, three of these ones refer to the persons of the Trinity. The Spirit there in verse 4, the Lord Jesus in verse 5, and then the Father there in verse 6. And the remaining four are really the benefits we receive from being in fellowship with this triune God. So the unity of the Godhead should be reflected in our unity here as a church. He says there is one body. It means we're, we're all individual organs, if you like, of the one same organism. He says there's one hope, which means we're all heading to the same new creation. There is only one faith, which means we've all been saved by hearing the one same gospel. There is only one baptism. We all receive this same sign of our salvation. You might know Hannah and I used to live in, in Dagenham in, in Essex, or is it East London? No one can really sort of decide. It, uh, at one point, I'm told it was the, the largest council estate in Europe, and it was there to sort of serve the, the Ford factories um, which build cars. And it's interesting, if you go back in time 10 years ago, Dagenham was almost entirely a white working class area. Um, but since then, since that time, there's been this massive influx of folk from West Africa, Ghana, Nigeria. And the result of this rapid change in social demographics, as you may well know, has been widespread racism and xenophobia. You still, if you go back to Dagenham now, you still hear people talk about them and us. It's a real problem. Um, and so it's no surprise if that, that I think the British National Party, it was the one place where they really had a, had a grip on the council. Uh, in, in Dagenham. But I often tell people this. Is, is if you go to Dagenham, there is only really one place where you would see white folk and black folk sitting down together and getting on really well. Where they would eat together and pray together and sing together and serve together. And that was in church. It was the one place where you would see unity amongst such difference. And as followers of Jesus, we might look very different. We vary in ethnicity, we vary in culture, we vary in background, politics, whatever. We vary. But, God's, uh, but Paul says here, we have everything in common. He, God has united us. And he's, he's modelled the oneness of the church on the oneness of his triune nature. So everything we do... Um, everything in our power we must do to, to keep and maintain this unity. But I, I probably need to clarify this before I move on. Paul is not telling us here to create unity with people with whom we're not in fact united with. There's a, a very big drive at the moment in, in the Church of England um, for, uh, for a united front. You might know there's, there's all this infighting and bickering over, over secondary issues. And um, they harm our witness and so there's a big drive for unity and we want to say amen to that and we want to pray for that and support that 
Um, but some of us, uh, some, some would have us express our unity with everyone and everything, regardless of the enormous doctrinal differences, primary issue differences which separate us. And, and I think we're hearing more and more of this, even from Bible-believing Christians, who, who think that unity is more important than the truth which God has clearly revealed in Scripture on these big primary issue things. So you might have heard of uh, Nicky Gumbel, who's the minister of uh, Holy Trinity Brompton. He's a godly, God-fearing Christian man. But on this I disagree with him. He, he said this recently at a conference. Unity is not doctrinal, but relational. He said it's not doctrinal, but relational. And I think I have to disagree with him. It's, it's surely both. We're united with Christians because we believe the one faith which has been revealed to us. That's what unites us. It is primarily a doctrinal thing. But we express that doctrinal unity relationally. And on that I do agree with him. We are one with every Christian. And we are to express that unity. But we aren't to seek unity with those who, who are distorting or confusing the gospel. We must be careful not to do that. But here's our second point. The Trinity is the source of our unity, but also, surprisingly, the Trinity is also the source of our diversity. And this shouldn't surprise us, because there is diversity in the Godhead. So look down again to verse 4, if you'd be so kind. Verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Church unity does not mean church uniformity. Paul says to each one of us has been given different ways, different grace to serve the church. Which means our diversity here this morning is not a problem which we need need to get over. Rather, it is a wonderful thing which we ought to embrace. So our different characters, our different cultures, our different interests, together we are to beautifully complement one another. And I think a powerful picture of this um, last term was that Lunar New Year dinner. I know many of you were at the Lunar New Year dinner at this um, feast downstairs. Everyone bought the various dishes from their own cultures. And it was, it was a wonderful thing. So you had sort of Indian food and, and sort of Chinese food and Malaysian food. And, and we had uh, Victoria sponge cake, which I think represented Britain. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a wonderful thing. All of our cultures coming together and, and benefiting one another, our differences, nourishing one another. I think it's like a foretaste of what we're going to see in glory. All the different nations gathered at this heavenly banquet, enjoying one another. So, so heaven is, is not going to be white and middle class and British. It's going to be as varied as God's people are across the world. But I still hope there will be Victoria sponge caping in heaven. I'm, I'm sure that's the case. Well, Paul doesn't just have in mind our different cultures when he writes this. You know, remember the, the tensions between the Jews and the Gentile Christians there. I think he has in mind also our various gifts and abilities. So follow again with, from verse 7 in your Bibles. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended 
is the very one who ascended higher than all of the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Paul's picture here, his illustration, it comes from the Old Testament, from Psalm 68. And the picture is of a great king returning from battle. As you can imagine, this, this great king is returning to Jerusalem and he's walking up to the temple up on Mount Zion. And as he's returning, behind this great victorious king are all his captives, all those he's defeated in battle. All the people, he's rescu- all the people who, whom, he's, uh, whom he's saved, um, what am I saying? All the people who's defeated in battle and so he's saved the people around him from them, if that makes any sense. So the crowds there, they're cheering. They're cheering the king on. They're cheering him because the king has rescued them. And what does the king do? Well, he gives out gifts to his people. He's showering them with gifts. They're cheering people at his return. And Paul says this psalm was fulfilled uniquely in the person of Jesus Christ. Just as the Son of God descended into our world... And he took on our human flesh, just as he went willingly to the cross to free us from our enemies of sin and Satan and death. Just as he descended, so now he has ascended. He is the king of the universe and he's poured out his gifts on us, on his church, by his spirit. So our gifts are different. But Paul is emphatic here in verse 7. Grace has been given each one of us. So please don't think that you're not welcome here at St. John's because you're different. And maybe you look at others around you and you think, I'm not like them, I have a different background, um, I have different tastes, I have uh, a different character. And well, that's the point here. Christ intends for his church to be full of variety. We need extroverts as well as introverts. We need old people as well as young people. We need to reflect the varied socio and economic diversity which we see in this area. We need all that. And please don't think that some gifts are more valuable than others. So that if, you've, if you don't have certain abilities, somehow you're a second class Christian. That's not right. Verse 7 says, Christ himself has apportioned his gifts to his people. So your gifts, whatever they might be, your abilities... They have great value because they've been given by a great king. So our trying God, he intends for his church to reflect his nature, united but also diverse. And here's why, our third and and final points on your sheets. Our diversity is necessary for our unity and maturity. Diversity is necessary for our unity and maturity. Look with me at verse 11 if you would. Verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service. Now you might find this bit a little bit odd. Paul's just told us that this king has gifted each one of us differently. So we might now kind of expect him to reel out a list of all the different types of gifts which we see reflected in the church. But instead, Paul focuses on only some of the gifts, that the Bible teaching gifts. He he tells us about the apostles and the prophets. They're the ones who kind of laid the foundation of the church. He tells us about the evangelists who spread the gospel of the church. He tells us about the pastor teachers who week by week prayerfully preach to the church. 
But notice why. Why has God given the church Bible teachers? Is it so that they do all the ministry themselves? No. Look at verse 12. It's really important this. They're given, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service. So the church is not like the number 46 bus on the way to Camden. In the number 46 bus, I just need to sit there and let the, uh, the driver do all the work. Is that what we should do here? Just let Jonathan do all the work while we just sit cross-legged and, and, and do nothing? Well, no. The church is not like a bus. The church is more like an orchestra, where each of us have slightly different instruments. We, we have a, a unique sound. We're doing something slightly different to one another. But together, we're, we're playing from the, from the same score. And as, as Jonathan, as it were, conducts us, he helps us to keep to time and keep to what is written in front of us. So the idea is that as we hear God's word preached week by week, each of us would, would, would be motivated to serve one another using the different gifts we have. And, and I know there are various things which go unseen. There are unseen finance meetings um, there are, uh, there's a cooking rotor, which we often just forget about. Oh, food, brilliant. Um, there are people who are up on the sound. They, they don't get very little attention or glory. Um, there are people downstairs who are teaching our children. Um, there are people who throughout the week visit the sick amongst us. We are all ministers. We could say that on the little board outside the church when it says minister. We could sort of scrub out Jonathan's name. But all of us, we're all ministers. It's part of the reason why, Jonathan and I, we don't wear sort of special clothes. We could do that. Maybe that would be helpful. But but we're not different in in, in that sense. We're all ministers. We all serve here. Well, what would be the effect of a church ministering to one another in in this sort of way? Well, look look to verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that... The body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, I'm aware the last few weeks I've been preaching, I think almost every week I've somehow found a way to sort of mention my daughter Chloe. Well, this week is no different. I found another way. And this one's a bit of a no brainer. Paul here compares the church to a growing child, a growing body. So my daughter Chloe, she's uh, I think six months now, in order for her to grow and to build up, she needs food, she needs milk. And for order for her to, to reach maturity, all her organs individually, they need to be doing their unique task. But more than that, they, they all need to be working in unity together. And without, without all of those things, without the food, without the organs, without all them working in unity, she's not going to reach maturity. She's not going to grow up. Well, if our church is to grow in maturity, it needs the food of faithful preaching. But the purpose of preaching isn't, it's not an end in itself. We, we, we preach in order that we might each serve one another in our own unique way, all the while expressing our God-given unity as the body of Christ. And Paul continues this illustration on into verse 14. He sort of runs with it. Verse 14, then... We will no longer be infants, 
tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Paul says a church which eagerly listens to the preaching week by week, they will grow and they'll be united. But the reverse is also true. A church which just becomes complacent about the preaching and sort of sidelines the importance of it, it will be immature. Like a, like a small boat on a stormy sea. It'll be, people will be thrown about all over the place following whatever theological fad has come up that week. It will fall for every cunning and crafty and deceitful scheme of men. And very sadly, we see this in a lot of churches today, don't we? Instead of being uh, growing and, and growing in unity together, much, many churches are stunted and, and they're divided. All because the word is not preached. But it isn't just preachers who have this task of, of teaching the word week by week. No, look at, look at verse 15. It is all of us. Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. If the church is the body, then Christ is the head. He's the the nerve center, the control center. He is the goal of our growth and maturity, and he is also the reason for our unity. He's what binds us all together. So before I close, here are just two very brief bullet point applications for us. And I encourage all of us, perhaps, to go away and think about these and chew on them. How we as a church might best grow in maturity and unity together. Here are just two ideas. I've taken them from these final two verses. In verse 15, Paul says, speak the truth in love. Are we doing this? I take it this means simply talking about Jesus with one another. Speaking the truth in love, talking about Jesus. So after church, have you ever initiated a conversation about Jesus? Um, in your midweek Bible study group, when, when people are sort of sharing their problems, have you ever tried to comfort them with the good news of Jesus? Perhaps you, you would be free over at a breakfast one week um, or, or at lunchtime in, your, in, in the city. And maybe you, you'll be able to meet up with someone in the week to, to briefly pray together and open up the Bible and, and, and talk about Jesus with one another. That's something I'm really keen that we do, particularly in the evening service. I'm trying to get everyone to start reading the Bible with, with someone else. Is that something we could do? We're told to speak the truth in love. Because by speaking the truth in love, we will, in all things, grow up into Christ. Jonathan and I, we're not, we're not the only Bible teachers here. We are all Bible teachers here. So are we doing this? That's the first thing, speaking truth in love. The second thing I've taken from the end of verse 16 I wonder, are we each doing our work? In the same way, a body needs its organs. I can't see my liver. Um, I don't have an x-ray vision. I can't see it, but I hope it's doing its part. I kind of need my liver to do its thing. Well, the church needs all of us. The church needs you. It needs your gifts. It needs your contributions. It needs your time. And it needs your love. And maybe you're thinking, oh, 
well, I'm not doing anything at the moment, but I'd really like to. Well, please come chat to me. There's nothing more encouraging for us than when people come forward and say, I'd love to serve somehow. Are there any ways I could do that? That's really encouraging for us because we are, we're not a bus. <laughs> we're, we're an orchestra. And I, do, I praise God that St. John's, we are, we're a serving church. We're not a church where it's just the staff team doing everything. I, I, I've just um, been working on the rotor for the summer period. And it's wonderful to see how many of us are doing things, often behind the scenes, and I praise God for that. I praise God for our unity, which reflects God's unity. And I praise God for our diversity, which reflects the diversity within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the way your Son, the great victorious King, has apportioned each of us gifts to serve one another. We thank you for the gifts we've been given. We thank you for the way you love us to use these gifts to love one another and draw one another closer to you, our head. Help us to work out how we can best do this. Help us to think practically and tangibly and help us to act on what we've heard. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.